Over these three social media platforms and many more, we wear masks. I can't pinpoint exactly when I first became interested in masking. I do know that as a child, I was always very open and honest, and I could never understand why anyone would want to try to hide their true feelings or opinions on anything, and to this day, often replay conversations in my head for fear that I was too oversharing, too open, too honest. So there's nothing inherently wrong with masking. Humans have been wearing masks and engaging in festivals surrounding masks for as far back as we have records. And they've been using them for a variety of healthy reasons. But in our Western society that's increasingly individualistic and globalized, not to mention socially dependent on technology, we found that our uses of masks have transformed from the literal or physical to the figurative, turning group and communal support mechanisms and coping mechanisms into performative constructions of the self that don't exist. And herein lies the fundamental paradox of masking. I am not myself. Do you still want to see my face? Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. This week, Mask Up, talking about masks with movies, or we're talking about movies with masks. Oh. <laughs> One of them. One or the other. Pretty wide open field. Uh, <laughs> kind of a gimme week for me and Kat. I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about the movie Haunt from 2019, written and directed by the team of Scott Beck and Brian Woods who wrote the uh, original screenplay for A Quiet Place and then later uh, co-wrote it some more with John Krasinski, who, of course, uh, directed and starred in that movie. Um, that led to them wow. being able to make this movie Haunt, which they had already written, uh, had a very brief theatrical run in 2019, and then Shudder snapped this up for the exclusive. It's still a Shudder exclusive, although... You can rent it on any of the major rental platforms. It's just that Shutter has the uh, membership streaming exclusive. So it's still pretty easy to see if you want. This is a very basic setup. It's about six college kids on Halloween night. They're out and about. They're hitting the clubs. They're partying. They're drinking vodka with spiders in it. They're doing shots. They got costumes. And they decide toward the end of the evening on a whim to check out what is billed as an extreme haunted house this haunted house is so extreme you have to sign a liability waiver and of course you have to give up your phone put all your phones in a little lockbox before you go into this haunted house so you can imagine where things go from there i love this one it is to me haunt is a meat and potatoes straight up straight played pseudo slasher slice them dice them no messing around, um, gets right to what you want. And I thought there were obviously a lot of uh, homages in this, and uh, there were a lot of references to the movies that came before it in the genre horror catalog. So I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, and there are a number of connections to the other movie we're going to talk about this week, The Strangers from 2008. There is a main connection to this movie and lots to talk about. Kevin, you had seen this before, yeah? Yeah, I love this. This movie, I think, is, yeah, it's exactly how you just set it up. I really enjoy this. You can pull it apart like 1,000 ways, 
if you're just like a movie critic or a casual person going to watch the movie Haunt. But if you're a horror fan, this literally gives you everything that you want to sit down and watch for 90 minutes. It's properly emotional. It's properly mean. It's properly gory. I mean, it has a lot of the cliches, you know, where it's like, how how can six people split up 17,000 times in, in one building? Uh, so you're always yelling at them. It has a bunch of characters that you don't know if you can trust. And like you said, Trent, like signing the waiver with your home address and then giving your phone up, at least one of those six characters would have shoved their cell phone down their pants and said, I don't have a phone. I got a ton of vibes from this. Like I got sort of like a the collector vibe because I appreciate this movie as like one of the more like modern classics for horror that, that is very much entrenched in traditional horror. So for whatever reason, it gave me like a collector vibe that actually probably would have been in my running if I had the mask up episode and I was going to be throwing out picks like the collector or your next uh, probably would have been like in my orbit. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love this. I love the final girl and I love the ending of this movie because unlike the other movie we're going to talk about, they have very different endings. This one I found considerably more satisfying. Haunt was fun for me because it ended up being a lot scarier uh, than I thought it would be. I started the film thinking it was just going to be about one crazy, you know, individual trying to get this one girl into a corny Halloween, like haunted house to taunt her. But then it turned very quickly into something quite, quite different. Uh, very scary. The masks were scary because they were weird, like cliche like old Halloween masks that normally you see like children wearing. And so having the super duper scary face underneath was a nice combination. I thought uh, it was way worse. What lies beneath? Uh, I definitely liked all the gory bits, including some nice uh, face ripping that we had going on. Um, I will say I kind of plateaued and like stayed on the same note for me a little like, middle into the end it was just kind of like the same scares and like the same oh i've escaped but i gotta go back in and then do this and then this guy's gonna i don't know it was like the same kind of stuff over and over again not that i didn't like it but um yeah either way i thought it was a fun uh jump scare little halloween night watch i thought haunt was amazing uh to me it was like super classic uh like an acdc album or something it was just like it had all the things that you want in a horror movie and every time I've watched this movie like six times because every time someone's like let's watch a fun horror movie like just hanging out it's a great movie to put on because it has great jump scares and like stillness is the move with all the the scary people like they're not moving fast they're not like doing the like the slow walk like Michael Myers they're just leveraging them through this maze and they just kind of end up in a spot with one of them. And I like all the face-offs with the, uh, the different uh, bad guys. And uh, one of the bad guys is from Maine, right? We were going to try to uh, talk to him. We were going to do our uh, summer uh, drive-in nights. Um, They're playing the hunt, and I think he attended it. Damien Maffey plays the devil. Uh, he is not from Maine. He is from New York, but he lives in Portland. Now, he was also in The Stranger's Prey at Night, the sequel to The Strangers, which we're going to talk about. Um, and he is in the new Wrong Turn, quickly becoming the actor of his generation. 
at least in, in, for the past 20 years, I don't think you've seen the emergence of an actor uh, in horror or even in mainstream drama, in comedy, in any genre. I don't think you've seen that, that sort of instantaneous um, star power and just sort of owning uh, the, the movie like you, like you see this guy do. He is terrifying in this. And I do love the connection to The Stranger's Prey at Night where he is the man in the mask. And I love that he's just sort of in all these horror movies. He has more movies than just those in the wrong turn, the new wrong turn that you mentioned, Trent. But in Haunt, you don't really see his face. You see a face. That's definitely not his face. In The Strangers, he doesn't have a single line. And obviously the man in the mask never gets the mask off. But in the new Wrong Turn movie, he actually does have an entire sequence with dialogue. He's not wearing a mask. However, he is one of the characters in the movie that does wear a mask. So I like it. And, and you also, in the new Wrong Turn, Chaney Morrow, who plays the ghost character in Haunt, Mitch, who is my favorite character mm. in the entire movie, he's also in the new Wrong Turn, uh, 2020, 2021, whatever. Uh, and he also finally does not have to wear a mask and, and gets a little gets a little dialogue but Mitch is my favorite character because when these characters are, are all realizing like they are super fucked like this is not these are not actors these are psychos they're in danger they run into one of the characters who is dressed as a ghost and he says his name is Mitch and he's here to help them no big deal guys calm down we're good that guy's voice is the single scariest part of this movie because he sounds like such a weenie he has this like high pitched, like, you know, totally, totally normal voice that for whatever reason, I was like, I got chills. I was like, this guy is so flipping creepy. And then sure enough, when he takes his mask off, oh my God. I actually thought that this week was one of the scariest weeks on our podcast. I thought both movies were very scary. Haunt has lots of jump scares that I forgot about. It starts right off with the pumpkin smashing on the door and there's lots of like audio scares that I, I really like in movies. Yeah, I think sound design on both of these are pretty important. And I think Trent, you would you would point it out that uh, I think when we were talking this week, both of the movies that we're talking about tonight were scored by the same people. This duo called Tom and Andy. And that's obviously Kat and Dave aren't or uh you and you and uh cat aren't out there making picks based on who scored them but i thought what a what an interesting coincidence that both movies that you guys pick have the same people scoring them and knowing that going in and watching them i listened very very intently for the scores they're both fantastic but like dave said the jump scares sometimes weren't even necessarily visual they were audio and the for me haunt was a little more even and we'll talk about it a little bit later in The Strangers. The Strangers actually started to, like, stress me out with their, with their sound design. It was pummeling at times. It's an important part of horror movies. One of the main similarities, I thought, between Haunt and The Strangers is they both use the, like, drugstore masks. Like, the totally nondescript Haunt is filled. I counted, like, eight or nine different, like, there's the clown, there's the witch, there's the devil, there's the sort of um, ghost face kind of guy. There's like a skeleton and a vampire. They're all like, you know, if you went to Walgreens at the last minute, you know, on Halloween night and you just needed a, a $2 plastic mask, you know, they're all kind of wearing those, which makes it I don't know, something like their faces underneath the masks in a haunt are much scarier than the actual mask. It's kind of a weird thing because they're like, they're part of some kind of like, um, I don't know, what, what do you call that when you mutilate your face and you put 
bar like metal in there and tattoos all over it. What's, Drugs. Is that called something? No, it's called uh, it's called a rough childhood. Um, but they uh, all they belong to some some club where they they body modification. Yeah, body modifications. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, like they're all turning into lizards and stuff like that. Yeah, you that. don't see that in horror movies very often. But other than that, no, you see it. Yeah, other than that, I thought that the that everything about this movie sounded like something I wouldn't like. It just seemed too basic. The premise, like if you explain this to me, I wouldn't think I would like it. But I really loved it because it was so basic, but it was so well executed. I mean, it's a it's a Halloween movie about a bunch of college kids going to a haunted attraction. That's not exactly in in you know uh, an original premise. This is coming out when you had Hellfest, Bloodfest, the houses that October built, Hell House LLC. That those are like all recent haunted attraction movies, and then throw in there's a an escape room element to this. So think about all the movies that have been coming out recently with escape room themes. Yeah, that's why I liked it. It's it's like uh, akin to uh, Train to Busan. It's like a revolutionary, basic zombie movie that, in a genre that's oversaturated, stands out. You have right at the right at the beginning of the movie. You have, as we just saw in Grabbers, you have another introduction scene where the character is watching the original Night of the Living Dead on TV. So right away, you're getting those Easter eggs. It's sort of like a, it's not just a tribute, but sort of a statement of intent. Like, this is a horror movie. Here you go. Buckle up. Straight up. I do want to draw attention to one of my favorite lines I've heard in a horror film in a while, which was, get the fuck out of my safe space, bro. <laughs> Evan is probably like the most physically vulnerable of the whole group and when the guy comes at him with the chainsaw all he can think is about safe space bro <laughs> on and uh, yeah it's a good cast Dave you just mentioned uh, Laura McLean who played Bailey did your daughter ever watch any of the Disney Channel shows when she was younger yep. Ant Farm oh, that's what she's from She's the girl from Ant Farm. No, that's her sister. Okay, because she her looks sister like the girl from is Ant Farm. is in, but but there's three of them that all they're not twins, but they look exactly alike. So when I started this movie the first time, I was like, Nora, Nora, is that China McLean? She was like, No, I think it's her sister. So it's her sister. Um, but a bunch of these a bunch of these actors like Andrew Caldwell, who plays Evan Trent that you just talked about, total background in Nickelodeon and like CW shows. So again, it's it's another example that comes up time and time again where you you see in horror, it's like the genre that a bunch of these kid actors jump to when they start to want to shed this like, you know, oh, I was on Nickelodeon, I was on Disney, like, but now I'm going to do a horror movie. Um, but my favorite was Katie Stevens, who played Harper. She's the final girl. And I d- didn't watch American Idol season nine, but apparently she finished in eighth place. Wow. Um, and she, this is the second horror movie that she did in 2019. She she also did a movie called Polaroid. I never saw that. It's not good. I thought it was funny that <laughs> none of these people have ever seen a Funhouse mirror before. Like they go into the 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 Funhouse mirror room and they're like, "Whoa, guys, it's just <laughs> whoa, it's the coolest thing ever. This mirror it's is like a, so messed up. What's going on?" So like in 2019. You never seen a funhouse mirror before? Yeah, they they can't believe it. So they're thrown off right away. I did think <laughs> I I thought that the funhouse kind of was was great in some ways because I liked this. It's so big that you never know like where they are, and there's you know there's all these tunnel, all these different paths and tunnels and different rooms and things that 
you never know like if they're any closer to getting out and even when the the tables start to turn and they realize that they're probably going to be killed and they start fighting back you don't really know if they're getting anywhere like every time they defeat a a boss of some room or whatever uh, Mm -hmm. it's like you don't know if they're any closer to the end or if they're still deep in the bowels and it's kind of hinted at at least or shown sometimes that there's cameras everywhere um, but I did think that there were points where, like Kat said, it got a little bit repetitive. Like they keep going back and forth. Oh, no, go back to the tunnel. No, go forward to the tunnel again. No, got to go back to that other room. And it's like <laughs> there's another guy in a mask. Got a dispatch of him. Couple, mm. two pitchfork deaths in this. Props. Mm. Ooh, and the, uh, can we talk about that glue trap mm. for a second? Uh, that, oh, whole, that, that whole room, I wanted to spend like brutal way more time in that room because it had like knives hanging it had boards on the floor with nails sticking up it had glue like mm. this room took a lot of fucking time and they spent like one minute in it have you guys ever eaten at cracker barrel uh yeah a next times. time one you time. eat there one time. look up because on the ceiling dangled from like string or fishing wire are saws and blades and all these weird blunt rusty instruments all over the ceiling it reminds me of this this movie. No. There's a great reverse shining scene in this where instead of, and we're going to see another one or talk about another one in The Strangers, but this has the shining scene, but it's like reversed where all of a sudden the door starts getting smashed in, but it's the good guy trying to get in instead of the bad guy or it's the good guy he's trying to get out. So it kind of like reverses it, but it's the same effect when Nate starts taking the uh, the door apart. Um, another sort of shining element, you have the backwards message on the wall in the escape room by the time harper has made it to the escape room you have sort of these red rum messages that are written backwards i feel like harper in that situation should be able to read backwards a little bit better <laughs> than you. she does like i don't think you need to go find a compact mirror somewhere to read like it's in the doll you know it just it's all, all it says is you know dolls see all i think you can read that harper your life is on the line here you don't need the no. mirror for this you know? but she hasn't found her strength yet trent there's still so much <laughs> doubt no. in no. past trauma that she's digesting i could have done without that whole part you have the near rescue in this there's kind of the extended near rescue kevin you alluded to uh i, I always like that i always like the scene where you think maybe you know you you've gotten somewhere but no you really haven't at all and there's sort of a Almost still like a fake out ending in this. I thought it was, I ex- I at least thought it was over at one point. And then there's almost sort of an epilogue kind of um, how it feels anyway. The the way the ending unfolds, um, I found that unexpected. I love that part. That's my favorite part. That's and we were kind of texting, and you were sort of like, "What the hell are you talking about?" But I think I think that gives Harper her own like twist as a final girl. So the the sort of fake out ending you're talking about kind of reminded me of a Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. the ending to the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and then you sort of get snapped back and you have this, like, really badass ending that I really enjoyed. And another thing that I loved about this movie is you mentioned Nathan Trent, and that's he's played by Will Britton. He's a jock. Um, yep, he's like the jock. I like the fact that they largely leave romance out of this movie. Hmm. And it's basically any relationship they talk about is abusive, and they very easily could have devolved into a classic, like, teen or college-age horror movie where they turn the heat up with, with Harper and Nathan. And they don't. 
I legitimately appreciate the fact that I stayed more emotionally connected to those characters because they didn't try to shove that down my throat or they didn't try to materialize romance in a situation where clearly there would be none. I wouldn't have minded uh, the little little more romance, you know? You're stuck in the haunted house. Yeah, emotions are running high, you know? It's one of those high-stress situations. Uh, but they're, I guess they're more concerned with their lives at that point. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I know when I'm in high-stress situations, I personally just take my shirt off, so I don't know what they were doing. They're just pulling out compact yeah, mirrors, Yeah, doesn't, it doesn't even get wet. You don't even have... You Nothing. Know. No sweat. No abs. I didn't no see any abs. At all. No abs. That was my only complaint. Another thing I wanted to ask you guys about, and, and this comes up a lot, I think, in horror movies, particularly slashers like this. And I know this time you have a, a gang of slashers and not just a Michael Myers, which, by the way, I do love the clown mask in this and how much it reminded me of the young Michael Myers in the original Halloween. What do we think about the fact that there is absolutely no backstory for the antagonists in this? You know, I I don't know. I, I guess I wanted a little, a, a scotch of backstory would be fine, but I think they kind of gave enough. They were just kind of like, it's a cult, right? They're yeah. like weird tattoo artists, just like, guys. Yeah, you got to uh, earn your face I agree or with you, Kevin, though. <laughs> I would have rather had their backstory than her like childhood backstory and like the, I know, the grainy footage of the house weak. and like yeah. you didn't know quite what happened, but... I would rather have the creeps backstory. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. What made me excited about uh, how well loved this movie is in the horror community, and I and I understand that Scott Beck and Brian Woods are kind of hot commodities now because uh, this movie is well well reviewed. A Quiet Place was obviously a box office smash, but I like the prospect that we could get like a sequel or a prequel that gives you the backstory on these. Like, there's a lot of opportunities to give us more haunt and give us more on these characters. So I personally appreciated the fact that they didn't go into any of that. Also, I meant to mention the um, the actor that plays the devil who lives here in Portland, uh, Damian Maffey. There is a, uh, a change.org petition circulating right now where you can uh, sign and uh, get him considered for the lead role in the remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night that is in motion right now, slated for 2022. The original production crew, I think the original director as well, but at least um, the original producers are on board with remaking the first Silent Night, Deadly Night. So uh, I signed signed for our boy, (laughs) Damien. Punish. (laughs) Naughty. Uh, Just to circle back to the uh, abusive boyfriend, I uh, I was glad. I was a little nervous at first that he was gonna like somehow save the day. Like he was gonna show up, be like, "Nah, babe, I got you." There was like a little thing. Where I was like, "He better fucking not." But then when he showed up and just immediately annihilated, I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that was an interesting point because he's like set up right in the first couple scenes. He's set up as a real asshole villain Mm -hmm. and she's like trying to break up with him and her uh, sorority sisters are trying to, you know, get her to to end it with this guy. And then by the end of the movie, he's trying to find her and you're like, come on, abusive boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Your only hope, our only hope is this abusive boyfriend. Hopefully his stalking, uh, hopefully his possessiveness and his stalking and his uh, his ownership will save the day here. (laughs) It did. It helped a bit. I was never rooting for him. And I did have that concern that you had, Kat. But again, it's another example of like how they sort of 
you know, eschewed going down some of these obvious routes that other horror movies might. I mean, if this was in the 80s, mm-hmm. the abusive boyfriend absolutely would have saved the day. But the second, <laughs> the second they showed him driving in his truck and he had a ponytail, I was like, this guy's dead. That ponytail gets you every time. <laughs> I do like the, the vibe of uh, them explaining uh, the final girl and, like, why she's strong. Like, so she goes through these things. She has an abusive boyfriend. She has uh, an abusive past and all this. And she, like, harnesses it to be, you know, strong and resilient and be the final girl. So, like, I kind of like that story. It's, it's, uh, that's, yeah, that's foundational. That's boilerplate, um, horror stuff. I'll get you out of my life. If it's the last thing I do. This week, Cat's pick was Brian Bertino's 2008 film, The Strangers, which is allegedly based on true events. After returning from a wedding reception, a young couple staying in an isolated vacation house receive a knock at the door in the mid-hours of the night. What ensues is a violent invasion by three strangers, their faces hidden by masks. The couple find themselves in a violent struggle, going beyond what either of them thought possible in order to survive. Even though this was my pick, I had never seen it before. So I was very excited to experience it first on the pod uh, for the masks episode. I've heard only good things about it, so I was like... Everyone's going to be happy I picked this one. No one's going to be mad at me this week. This is going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It starts out so strong. Oh, well. (laughs) It starts out so strong with the text on the screen uh, describing the events and then the 911 call from the children. It packs a punch right away. Uh, Then you're pulled into this emotional melodrama for like 20 minutes about this couple, which I honestly didn't mind because I'll watch Liv Tyler all day every day. Um, then the intruder stuff starts and it unfolds and you're you're in it now. The masks themselves are somehow terrifying because they're not scary at all. They're just like doll masks. But the fact that they're like not talking at all and just silent crazy people wearing these cute masks creeping around in the background. Always in the background. Uh, I loved this movie. And I can see why it's such a little cult classic. And I'm excited to hear you guys talk about it. I always play, you know, the the part of like the hardcore tough guy that likes everything that that's really extreme. But when I was in the movie theater watching this movie for the first time, I literally wanted to get up and leave because I had so much anxiety and it was so realistic and so blunt and brutal. Um, I I really really love this movie, and I'm really scared by this movie. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. weird that uh, 
maybe just because the home invasion thing is something that's so uh, real to me and I'm afraid of that. But I thought this movie was great. Um, I like that the, the masks that they wear um, aren't ones that like obstruct your peripheral that much. Sometimes you'll have a, a killer in a movie that's wearing a mask that's just like, this guy, you just sneak up from the side and he's never going to see you. Um, but these guys didn't try to do any crazy things. I, I felt like it was very much like a, a chess game. Um, and the way they played the couple in the house uh, was was amazing. And uh, I don't know. It, this one really hit hard for me uh, back when I first saw it. And I watched it the other night. Um, terrifying. Completely terrifying. Man, I loved this one. I watched The Strangers, and I watched The Strangers Uncut. After that, uh, extra two minutes. This is actually free on Peacock right now. Uh, if you have Fubo, you can watch it, or you can rent it anywhere. And a few of the sites have both the theatrical and the uncut. It's only a difference of like two minutes. Um, but I liked it so much, I wanted to see both. This was a movie at the time, um, I had some kind of stick up my ass about this. I saw it back in like 2008 or something, 2009, and I thought it was really scary. I, I really liked it, but I had some problem with the end. Um, I don't know what, you know, what I was thinking. I love the end. I kind of, I guess I kind of regarded this originally as like a kind of a bargain bin funny games or something. I was watching like French horror movies and stuff like them, which, um, People have noted some of the similarities, although really not that similar. I mean, people show up to your house to kill you. It's called Home Invasion. So you can't just lump it in with every Home Invasion movie. Um, you know, they're all kind of <laughs> like that. Um, but I, I've been wanting to revisit because I felt like I was wrong. And so I was excited to, um, to check this out again. And I love this movie. It's so good. Right from the start, Kat, you mentioned that Texas Chainsaw Massacre opening with the based on true events. You know, that's <laughs> always a great way to start a horror movie. And it gets right into it pretty quick. You have your classic like failed proposal. You got the couple. It's already scary to begin with because you got the failed proposal. That's always scary. The anxiety kicks in right away. This guy's gotten shot down. And now this couple has to do this thing. I'm yeah, just go ahead, sorry. I, I don't think that I'm recording. What, what did I say? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so you have the horror. The horror of the, the failed proposal puts you on edge right away. But the other thing that this movie does immediately that sets up a lot of anxiety before any masked assailants show up or anything scary really happens, the scariest thing is when, like, you, you're breaking up with someone or, you know, there's some big conflict, the relationship might be over. But in the meantime... You're still at this like cabin that you rented or whatever. You're, you know, at the camp. You're at the uncle's camp or the family uh, beach house or something, wherever you are at the hotel. You're on this trip, but now things have gone totally sour and you're both just stuck there. And you're just sitting there at a table like people are crying and, you know, there's not really much to say. And you're like, you're beautiful. And you're like getting the ice cream out. And like, I don't know, this is like the hell, just the most anxious, like hell type of situation. Like, what are you supposed to do? And then you're like, oh, might as well have sex again. I don't know. Whatever, you know. And so they, they get to that part. But then the sex is interrupted by the knock at the door. And I thought that's 
so terrifying. It's like one of my greatest fears is being alone, someplace secluded, and then you hear a knock at the door and you look and it's four in the morning and nothing good mm -hmm. can come from there. So I loved the setup, uh, really puts you on edge immediately. Kevin, I'm sure you have always been a big fan of this movie, I would guess. Uh, this came out in 2008. I, I could not see it in theaters because we were anxiously awaiting the birth of our daughter. So the first time I watched this was renting it at home on a night when my wife went out to get the hell away from our baby, which she needed to do. And it was a, a movie that I picked to oh. rent and watch with all the lights turned off after the baby was asleep. And I'm going to sit here with like a couple glasses of wine and I'm going to watch The Strangers. So I'm a new dad, obviously sleep deprived, obviously vulnerable, in a house, in the middle of the night, no lights on. Like Dave, who was in a theater and wanted to leave, I had to stop this movie and turn all the lights on and pause it and like go outside on my deck to like smoke a cigarette and be like, I'm fucking terrified. And and since then I've rewatched it and it hasn't been as scary. So I think it was really like where I was when I watched the first time that I was primed to be screwed up by this movie. I was primed to be affected by it. Uh, but going back and watching it uh, a few times leading up to this episode and really trying to put myself back in that situation, it's it's a really scary movie. Um, I, I, I obviously never read reviews of this. It's, it's a pretty poorly reviewed movie. But I think what Brian Bertino did, and this is his writing and directorial debut, I think it's great. I, I really like it. And like we just talked about in Haunt, where I personally would love to know more about the antagonists, one of the best parts of The Strangers is they kind of, sort of, give you clues as to who the antagonist might be. But one of the scariest parts of it is that you have no idea. And I would never... If if a if a stranger sequel ever came out that dug into the past oh, of the antagonist, like a la Rob Zombie's Halloween or something, I'd be pissed. One of the scariest things about this movie to me is the fact that like you don't know who these people are, why they've decided to do this, how they figured it out. And in fact, one of the things that I think sort of made some of the critics frustrated with this is like clearly these people aren't as organized as they as the movie plays out like they're literally just going in and fucking with these people and at any point the protagonist could have flipped this story on its head mm -hmm. and the fact that they don't i think frustrates maybe someone with like a film critic mind but it terrifies someone get in like the me smallest like, amount of if peril, i was in that situation i would I'm have made a thousand <laughs> you know i, I never would have you know, maybe like, immediately not... thought to call 911. I'm thinking about my neighborhood. I mean, knock on wood here. I'm thinking about my neighborhood. If something, like, kind of funky happened, I wouldn't be like, call the cops right away. Like, it's fine. But th this movie is far more realistic than some of the reviews might have. It's really scary. Uh, I love it. I, I fell back in love with it. I've always loved it, but I fell back in love with it from uh, a standpoint of how scared it made me. As far as horror movie uh, protagonists go, they're pretty stupid. I mean, there isn't, you know, but I, I kind of liked that because in the moment, you don't want something to be like, you're not thinking that there's three masked killers outside. You're thinking like, all oh, right, you know, some girl knocked the door, you know. You don't like when you're watching something like this, you think, get out of there, get in the car, drive away, 
call the police, run. But in real life, you think that you're crazy if you do that. You know, it seems so extreme that it just doesn't seem real. So I thought it was like pretty good with that. I agree. After a certain up to up to a certain point, he 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 made a, a a ton of stupid decisions up to a certain point. But then, like, really, like when she was legitimately like, there was a man in a mask standing outside. You've already had a girl who unscrewed your front porch light. Like, can we maybe pay attention to Liv Tyler a little more and start to act accordingly instead of being like, no, 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 everything's fine because. Think about it. His first reaction when they're like getting getting involved in some sexy time and someone knocks on the door, he is incredulous. He's like, it's four in the morning. So where is that like sort of sense of paranoia or is he just annoyed that someone just stopped him from getting laid? Why is it that, you know, with masks that covering your face is scary? You know, like if you get an elbow pad on, you're covering your elbow. It's not scary. You get a shirt on and you're not showing your tits. That's not scary. A little, well, maybe that's a little scary. Bad example. But why is it that covering your face like, is uh, some sort of like betrayal of trust? I feel like the, a lot of the, the non-mask people uh, are just freaked out because everyone's face is covered up. I was thinking about that too, and I think that what's even scarier is if they don't have a mask or if they have a mask and they take it off, what you don't want to see is the face because if you see the face, you know you're dead. If if the mask, you think, well, I, hey, I don't know who you are. Maybe you can bargain later on. I couldn't pick you out of a line. If you just let me go now, what would I tell people? A clown you know, tried to kill me? Uh, you can still get out of this, but once you've seen the real face, it's over. Yeah, one of the, I think my scare, the scariest part for me was when they showed, you could see the dude's eyes like underneath his mask before he took it off in the daytime. And he's just got these dead, like icy blue fucking eyes. And in that moment, I was like, oh, fuck. Like he's not, he's not letting him go anywhere. That's one of the scariest things of this movie is the ending is when they take their masks off. And originally, what they filmed was they showed the faces of the three of the three strangers and the strangers would then proceed to walk around and like fiddle around the camp more and then change their clothes into Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman's clothes. And then uh, uh, eventually they decided, no, 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 it's way more terrifying if you show them pulling their masks off, but you still never see their face. And just like what you said, like, it, that's that to me was one of the scariest parts of it and we've we've talked about texas chainsaw massacre and how you know that's you know daytime horror trend you bring it up a lot a lot of texas chainsaws in the daytime i love watching a movie in the daytime being scared at this point in the movie it is broad daylight it's morning daylight and and they take the masks off and you see the realization in 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 Kristen and james our, our main characters you see the realization that Holy shit, they just showed us our faces because there's no way we're getting out of this. That's the whole, that was the scariest part to me when it's morning and you're, they're showing the exterior shots of the house in the broad daylight and it's not over. 
You know, like this, you're thinking you have to just make it to daylight because nobody could continue some kind of assault like this in the daylight. If you just make it to morning, you got to be safe. And it's like, not at all. You are not safe. The sun is shining through. It's a bright morning and still nobody cares and nobody will hear you scream. And you're still totally at the mercy of these crazy killers. Also, another uh, Maine connection because uh, Liv Tyler used to live in Maine. I remember... uh, like my senior year in high school, I remember being at parties yes. and people being like, Liv Tyler's over there. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Yes. One of my oldest and best friends was her neighbor. And used to his mom used to watch Liv Tyler. So they were like babysitter buddies. And when Liv Tyler when Liv Tyler would come back to Portland, uh, they would always have dinner. And I was always like, where are you going to dinner? And he was like, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to show up like a crazy person. And I absolutely would have. I looked into her because I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard about her recently. And she's still doing all kinds of stuff. She just doesn't do as much like big mainstream um, studio stuff. But she's still very active, um, does a lot of movies. So still still out there. Well, and this is one she had taken a. She had taken a break from acting for quite a few years after a, a lot of big hits. And, you know, we, we talk about Alicia Silverstone on this show, a, a, a few movies that we've watched with her. I mean, Liv Tyler and Alicia Silverstone, are like they sort of came up together in the Aerosmith videos. They did, like, crying and crazy. So there's a connection to other, uh, other episodes that we've had. But she took time off after she uh, had her son, the birth of her son. And this is the first movie that she came back and did after a few years. And Bertino had her in mind, and she loved the script. And one thing that I was thinking about after researching the movie and watching it again was this is a $9 million budget. This movie does not look like it should have cost $9 million. So I'm wondering how much of that $9 million was to get Liv Tyler involved because it's, it's ultimately one setting four five five six characters tops a quick wedding scene um but it it, it, uh for for Liv to be in this movie and have it to be her first first horror flick uh she killed herself she was psyched to come back to acting yeah she she said that it's like she said it was the most challenging role she's ever done i believe right physically and mentally uh yeah physically emotionally mentally challenging movie ever and one of the things that bertino would do we would do, and this this goes back to the to the sounds that I was talking about. Uh, is he would have her run around before a scene where she had to be emotional. He would have her go on like a run or do jumping jacks and wear herself out, so that when they started rolling, she would seem even more out of breath. And at one point in the shooting, she gave herself tonsillitis from screaming so much. And you can believe it watching this movie because she has some sequences where even I'm like, please stop screaming. Please stop screaming. You're stressing me out. And they're fucking with the audio levels, like turning things up and turning things down. Uh, it's it's just great. You mentioned the budget of $9 million. This movie made like, what, $180 million at the box office, Kevin? $82 million. $82 Still, million. I mean, it was, a, it was a sleeper hit. It was super poorly reviewed and people just liked it. I wonder if it wouldn't be better reviewed today. I think that this movie kind of got caught in that nobody was expecting it. And I don't know, like, I I think that over time, I I bet you would find more people today who would um, receive this movie more favorably than they did at the time. I I don't really get why 
um, it wasn't received as well critically as it was commercially. But the, the other question I have is if it made so much money on so little, why it took 10 years to make a sequel, 2018. Kind of strange. Yeah. Errs. Strange-ers. <laughs> um, the homie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia gets, gets a, a whole three minutes of screen time. It's funny to see him. I know. I was so excited when I saw him. I was like, yeah, Dennis. I was like, oh, no, Dennis. <laughs> like immediately <laughs> after. I will say that I have had uh, Merle Haggard stuck in my head ever since I watched this movie. I can't stop listening to Mama Tried. Um, that would be Merle but, Haggard and the Strangers. Uh, you got uh, some Wilco and Billy Bragg uh, in this. And I loved that in 2008, I thought this was very forward-leaning to take care of the cell phones. Back in 2008, a lot of movies were still pretending that cell phones didn't exist, uh, trying to ignore the cell phones. And even today, I think a lot of movies, um, the one thing they haven't figured out sometimes how to do is deal with the cell phones because if you really portrayed cell phone use the way it is, like your movie would be terrible because it would just be people looking at their phones all the time. Yeah, you got to get around that somehow. This movie, a long time ago, 2008, you had flip phones. This movie very uh, went out of its way to specifically address the phones, where they were, what's going on, um, and Haunt kept that tradition alive also. Uh, we didn't really... We, we mentioned it, but both movies right away take the phone sort of it not necessarily out of the equation in the strangers but it's a factor that it doesn't ask you to just ignore like why don't they call someone so i appreciated that that was one point where and i think it's because i had been reading and listening to some podcasts that really really panning this movie but when she discovers that her phone is at like two percent and she goes to plug it in and then she goes back to use the landline before, obviously, our antagonist cut the landline. It, like, at that point, like, your phone would be at, like, 5%. You'd have enough to make a 911 call. And then when he gets back from the store because she ran out of butts and she needs some butts. <laughs> so he went to get her some butts and he comes back and he's like, oh, shit, I got to go back out to the car. I left my cell phone there. I'm like motherfuckers like you're really really testing my patience right now <laughs> well in 2008 you might though you know yeah yeah the early days of the cell phone you didn't have it on you all the time like you do now because you weren't scrolling instagram and twitter and everything you know it would take you like five minutes to check a baseball score or something you didn't necessarily you know you might have just left it for tomorrow true fair enough fair enough and not having the phone charged was a, a vibe back then too yeah, I, the only place that I would ding this movie, really, as far as um, the aesthetic, they give you this great 70s aesthetic, and it, it reminded me very much of, like, um, the true crime serial killer stuff. You know, this was, Bertino has said that he based this largely on the book Helter Skelter and the Manson murders, and he wanted to do uh, a perspective that was just from the victim because he was kind of saying, you know, we know all these things about the Manson murders and we pour over them over the decades and we get all into the true crime. But, you know, the victim at the time doesn't know any of these things and sort of what would it be like in that position where none of this means anything to you. You're trying to figure it out. It's all totally random. Um, so I really liked that 70s, 80s vibe. It really made me think of that like BTK, suburban, weirdo, daylight type of killer. Um, but the one thing that uh, that kind of took a little bit of that edge off was the bootcut jeans. Thank you. Well, I mean, I love the set. And actually, now that I'm thinking about the the budget, 9 mil, all of the exterior shots were done at an actual farmhouse, like in the middle of nowhere. 
the interior wasn't a house. That was actually a soundstage they built to shoot the movie in. So that might have taken a bit. I, and I do remember Bertino talking about how he had a very specific look that he wanted to have. The, it's, going, it's taking place, I think, in like 2006, but he did want it to look like it was the 70s. And when I read that, I felt like Liv Tyler's smoking is almost like another set design thing that you do because a, a movie in like two like now you wouldn't have your main female character be a smoker at all yet she's ripping marb lights like they're going out of style um but i i love the house i love the setting i loved how confusing it kind of was i mean we've talked about a bunch of movies where you're sort of confused about what the time frame is um i i like that juxtaposition of this old 70s setting but they're a cell phone, so you know that it's at least semi-modern day. And and Liv Tyler, right from the get-go, is like a nervous person. Like, there's a relationship tension, but she's just, in general, just very nervous. And, like, the, the smoking and running out of butts and all that stuff just adds to that. And uh, then when you, you know, compound the, the crazy conflict of the people... Uh, storming the house it makes you kind of feel that anxiety you have a classic near rescue in this which is so anxiety inducing you think that you know they, they might have some help and then no they don't have any help um i love the steady cam handheld thing this whole movie is is shot either handheld or steady cam so the camera is always moving in some fashion there's always some motion in the camera and my understanding is this one was shot in chronological order which we've talked about is the exception to the rule usually on these movies. But apparently this one they actually did shoot from beginning to end. I actually noticed the, the, the handheld in some of the shots. Like I was noticing how even when they were just look, looking across the room at someone, it was moving slightly up and down, which you don't see that very often. Usually stuff is very clean. I liked that. Yeah. Steady. Yeah, I did too. It lent, it lent kind of a realism to it, almost like made it seem like you were there a little more than, than it might have. I'll, di- I'll ding this for the same thing the cat dinged Haunt for. It does sort of plateau and give you a section of the film that is, like, very repetitive. It's not adding much to, like, the tension. It's not adding much. You're just sort of, like, get somewhere, and you're like, okay, we got to get to the end game. we got to get to the end game. Um, I think that the, the near rescue that you're talking about, Trent, and the it's always sunny in Philadelphia moment, uh, I think that that breaks it up a little bit, but we, I think the barn scene is is like we got to get this to eighty five minutes, people. So I think the barn scene uh, is sort of uh, like. Uh, I thought it was. It's eighty five minutes. I thought it was high and tight, man. I didn't. There, there's actually a couple of deleted scenes you can watch on YouTube, and uh, I don't know why they deleted them, other than I feel like they were so committed to keeping this as tight as possible. Well, I like the the fact that it takes place overnight and it goes to the morning because there is that section of an overnight that is kind of just like a waiting game right you know it's like four or five in the morning and it's about to be the next day um so i have uh, a few uh of uh songs in my catalog that i have made after horror movies and this is one of them uh, the first Army's record we song about the strangers. And that was inspired by this movie? Well, not really. You have martyrs too. Yeah, exactly.
Kevin, Kevin, lay down some um, some sweet, sweet, uh, true, uh, true crime facts. Oh, what? Oh, Kat, you got a pizza coming? I What's got, going I'm on? I'm fucking doing the setup. <laughs> you got delivery? You got delivery? If there's a knock what? on the door, it's Domino's. Oh, oh, Trent, do you have a stick up your butt? I had No, hey, t- take it in for landing. I just, usually that's traditionally that means the end. No, I was just curious end, about yeah. some true crime um, re- realities. Oh, the true crime. No, oh, not I, the I thought fa- you were calling for the No, I want the true crime dump. Real life. So that's the based on true events thing. And Trent already called it out. The reason that Bertino did this is we all know how effective the intro to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. Unfortunately, they didn't have quite as good an announcer. Not quite. No John Larroquette. But, yes. But Trent mentioned it's based on the Manson murders, and that's what Bertino publicly has said. However, he's also mentioned that there was an instance when he was a kid, and he was home alone with his sister, and his sister was younger, and they... There was a knock on their door, and somebody at the door asked if somebody lived there that definitely didn't. So I don't know if it was actually Tamara, like they asked for in The Strangers, but his sister was basically like, that person doesn't live here. The next day when they woke up, they discovered that there was a group of people going around, and if nobody answered the door, they were breaking in and burglarizing those homes. So no murders. The bigger thing that everybody has called out is the 1981 Ketty Cabin murders. So this is a rural resort town in California. In Cabin 28, on April 11th, we had a mother, her 13-year-old daughter, Tina, her 16-year-old son, John, and John's friend, Dana Wingate, were all murdered. Their bodies were found on April 12th by Sue's 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, who had stayed at a friend's house close by. They claimed they heard nothing. Two more of Sue's kids, young Rick and Greg, and their friend Justin were unharmed. Initially, Tina was missing, but her remains were found in 1984, almost 100 miles away. This case is still unsolved. It was a terrible initial investigation, and evidence is still popping up today, including as early as two, or, or as, as recent as 2016, where a hammer was found in a pond. DNA evidence was found that had been buried in the police station. Um, but basically, Sue, John, and Donna were found bound with tape and wire in the living room and had been horrifically murdered. Uh, I would recommend looking up Cabin 28 uh, online. There is a particular person who has dedicated his life to trying to solve this case. There's a million podcasts out there that you can listen to, too. But the reason that this has always been thought to be connected is the setting of The Strangers, but even more so because the setting of the Strangers sequel, Pray at Night, literally takes place in a spot that looks remarkably similar to the Ketty Resort. I didn't love uh, Strangers Pray at Night. It was fine. I liked it more now. The uh, uh, Christina Hendricks uh, death scene was particularly brutal. It was pretty mean. Um, I saw that at the theater, and I didn't like it that much, but I watched it again uh, for this week. Uh, you know, it's stupid. There's no reason for it to exist, um, especially 10 years later. But, uh, you yeah, I thought it was there was some effective stuff, you know? You know, I think uh, both movies this week, uh, the, the killers remind me of, like, the Norwegian death metal 
people. They're just doing it because <laughs> they want to be hard. Like they want to be more hardcore. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, in the strangers, they're just doing it. I, you get the feeling that they're just bored and they want to do something fucked up. I got that. I got that they, not that they wanted to be hard, but they're just bored. And like, okay, what what yeah. can we do that's exciting? Let's go just fucking well, that, kill Yeah, the people. explanation goes from the strangers. The explanation is because you were home. And then in the strangers mm-hmm. pray at night, it's uh. why not? And <laughs> just like, uh, right. Terrible title. I do hate the title pray at night. Very stupid. I liked pray at night a lot more the second time I watched it. I, I think that's worth the second watch. And maybe I liked it more because I watched it immediately following the strangers. And I was sort of in that mood. But I, I don't know. I, I love these characters. I love the man in the mask. I love Dollface. I love Pinup. I think that they were some really good modern horror characters, some modern antagonists. Um, and I, I think it's worth revisiting Prey at Night for sure. And I think both of these movies, like uh, leaving a little mystery uh, with the bad guys, and the, it makes it even better like I like to that. not yeah. explain everything not show everything just have it be kind of like why are they doing this because that's how you'd feel if it was happening to you exactly yeah I really like that aspect Trent I'm curious you already mentioned like this being like a bargain bin funny games but there was one review I read that was really positive but it went as far as to say that the strangers has the grim realism Characters could have wandered out of a gloomy Ingmar Bergman film, and also he compared it to Michael Haneke's Funny Games as quote naturalistic domestic. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. I thought that might be taking it a little <laughs> too far for uh, talking you know, about I, the strangers I, from an artistic standpoint. I would argue that the strangers is more raw than Funny Games, even though Funny Games is like high art it's amazing and all that yeah but, yeah that's, but there's the, the fourth wall that's broken at different points in funny games and uh the the bad guys in general are just kind of a little sillier these guys just play it straight and raw and brutal and savage yeah like, uh, yeah I, th- I think especially for a young filmmaker who never intended to direct this this was a, a screenplay that bertino sold to universal and then um, two years later, after a couple other directors had come and gone, he ended up <laughs> in the position of directing it. So I think for a young American um, filmmaker striking out to to kind of do this version of that, no, it's not funny games, um, but it's damn good. Fair. I want to throw that at you guys. I would I would highly recommend Bertino's film The Monster, also recently released The Dark and the Wicked. Oh, yeah. Both movies like I'm a Wicked, huge fan Monster. of. He also wrote and directed a movie called Mockingbird that I've never seen. It's a found footage film. But props props to Bertino. I had no idea that he was a producer on The Black Coat's Daughter, which is a hugely awesome horror film that I love. I never made it through that. I haven't seen it. I need to. It's on my list. All right, pizza's pizza's coming, guys. I think let's that's good. Maybe I'm, I will order no, a pizza. Saying, what is same for what's me? The problem. Okay. <laughs> Let me live. <laughs>